1: welcome welcome to game over montreal let's hope that the montreal canadians were saving their energy for tampa tomorrow night because that was not a banner game <laughs> i'm here with blaine Popvin from Habs unfiltered blaine how you feeling
0: uh kind of tired from watching that game
1: yep almost yep, got put was, to sleep there it was not great it was not great i think it was like 11 shots with four or like five or six minutes left and then they started to turn it on a little bit there but yeah i i can't say that one was one where we were writing home and talking about how great they are there's not a whole lot of positives
0: i thought jake allen was pretty good yeah, yeah he, Other he, he was than solid. <laughs> well, it, it, Other than... <laughs> honestly the last few years in florida have kind of sucked yep. but if we're looking at improvements Two years ago it was an AHL team that paid paid a visit.
1: So true, true. At least there's some players there now, but uh, it it wasn't uh, a game where anybody really shone bright. I will say, despite the fact that he took a bad penalty in the in the first there, I thought like it's always a joy to watch Nick Suzuki. You know the the little subtle things that he's able to do to to stay competitive when he's behind the play or out muscled. I, I always find some enjoyment out of watching him. But, man, that was just a rough game overall. I, I I guess if I'm looking for giving anybody flowers, I'd say compared to the last game, and I know Anderson scored last game, I thought that Monaghan-Anderson-Evans line was much better looking tonight than they were last game.
0: They didn't get a lot of shots through, but they did generate a lot of opportunities. yes. Who did get a lot of shots through Lane? <laughs> no one. Offfield is pretty much the only one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought David Savard had a couple big slappers, but other than that, like, man, I don't know how we're going to build three segments out of that show. Uh, Brendan Gallagher had three shots, I guess. Uh, he looked all right tonight, but all his shots were from way, way out, right? He, he doesn't have the speed to, to get in deep, so it's a tough one.
0: It was... Uh about 25 feet further away from the net than he normally is.
1: Yeah, yeah, quite a bit, yeah. Let's talk about uh, how things went wrong tonight, because obviously there's a lot of focus right now on UL Armia, which I get because he's always there in the crosshairs for Habs fans anyway. I don't think he meant to take off the guy's helmet. I I thought that was kind of uh, an accidental situation where he got tangled up with a guy trying to get around him I don't really blame him for that. And I think that the way that he's been playing since his call up has earned like a, a little bit of leeway for UL Armia compared to the previous years. Like at least right now, I, I look at UL Armia and I see a guy who's putting in effort. So I understand that people don't like him and
0: he's overpaid and all that, but he's playing decently. Well, I mean, he's doing what he always does. He shows up, then he disappears. He shows up, then he disappears. But with that penalty with the helmet, um, I don't know if he meant to do it, but he did mean to put the guy into a little bit of a headlock to slow him down, give him a hard time, and that's the part that was careless because then he takes that chance and then it hurt the team.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about Suzuki earlier in the game, right? Where there's no reason for him to reach out with the arm and no. as much as I thought Suzuki, the rest of the game was pretty s- damn strong. It seemed like nobody's head except for Allen really was really in the game tonight.
0: No, not really. Uh, I mean, uh maybe well,
1: Struble and Harris. They
0: yeah. I was about to say, I was about to say those two <laughs> same guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. With Suzuki it's one of those rare mistakes that reach in the, the team was going off for a line change. He was there to kind of put a little bit of pressure on to slow them down. And then he, he reached in for God only knows what reason he was exhausted at the end of a shift. Yeah, So he I, maybe he just wanted two minutes off. I don't, <laughs> I
1: don't know <laughs> the confidence of the captain. You guys will kill it for me, right? Yeah. Uh, no, they will not. Nick, they will very rarely kill a penalty yeah. lately. Uh, I mean, let's talk about the PK later. We'll do that in the second segment. Cause I feel like that's a whole thing on its own, but, One thing that I noticed tonight that kept them, because honestly, I thought Florida played a terrible hockey game. They were not able to get into the the middle of the ice for most of the game against the Canadians. And that is really, like, for them, if I was their coach, I'd be pretty upset with how they played tonight because the Canadians were dishing them softballs all night long. I'm not sure I've seen a game this year With so many defensive zone turnovers, these soft pushing the puck to the wall situations like uh, maybe this is controversial and you can tell me how you feel about it as well, Blaine. But when I see a team that's kind of stuck in their own zone and they're trying to clear the puck and they, they know that they can't finesse it in a way that won't be icing, but they just push it to the wall, I'd rather you just ice it. Like it, it just makes more sense to me to ice it than give up possession in your own zone and try to scramble and get it back. At least you've got a 50, 50 shot on that face off to get possession.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like it's something I teach the kids that I coach from age seven to 18 is pretty much that don't give the puck away at the blue line. That is, doesn't matter which blue line it is. As soon as you give that puck away, those are the two worst areas to do it at and the little soft one hand push. I mean, what's the point of even trying like there's yeah. nothing on that. So yeah, I agree. Just toss it out. If it's an icing, it's fine.
1: Yeah. At and least I it's not in your zone, one of the few times in this game where the Canadians kind of kept the Panthers from creating a lot of havoc in their own zone was they, they iced it twice in a row. And it seemed like it threw the Panthers off their rhythm. And I was like, you know what, guys, just keep throwing it out. If you don't have an option, ice it. Uh, I don't know the NHL, like how many icings you can get away with in a row before they call a delay game, but uh, test it out. You know, if you're overmatched, at least make them work for it, right? They've got to skate the length of the ice. You can take that time off. You don't have to chase it down like Anderson did the first time, you know, uh, take advantage of the rules a little bit. As much as uh, last show with Tredge, I was saying we need to punish teams yeah. for taking advantage of the rules. But uh, when you're overmatched against a team like the Panthers, who are clearly wildly better than the Canadians at this stage, yeah, just lean on it. You know, you don't have to play this game where you're just turning the puck over constantly. I really don't know what was going on tonight with the decision making in the defensive zone because it was brutal to see them try to clear the puck.
0: Well, the, the Panthers had a pretty good four-check going, and it it really threw the, uh, the Canadians off, uh, especially down low. They, they did a, a pincer movement almost every single time, yeah. and it slowed down the Canadians' transition game, which then caused a little bit of panic, and it, it kind of snowballed. So I, I give a lot of credit to Florida for causing that, uh, that that issue, but it's not something that a team can't adjust to. You would think. <laughs> you would think.
1: Yeah, it, they they were like a buzzsaw on the forecheck tonight, but I, I find any time a team is getting forechecked for, you know, 60 minutes, if you're not adjusting, that's that's a bit of an issue. And it, maybe they were pacing themselves, thinking they'd rather take it to the Lightning. There's probably a bigger rivalry between them and the Lightning than them and the Panthers, but I, I don't know. I, I would like to see them actually push back against the Panthers one of these games because it's been... You know, almost two years now that the Canadians have just been beaten to oblivion by these Panthers. I mean, you could go back, aside from that, uh Carey Price's last game, uh, the 10-goal spot up on the Panthers, essentially AHL team in Montreal. That season as well, there was one game where they played the Panthers. Remember, they had 14 people <laughs> because of COVID and all the injuries they had. It's been really rough against this team in particular, and I don't know if it's so much that the Panthers are so much better. Like they are better, but I don't know if that's like, there's other teams that are as good as the Panthers that the Canadians play better than the Panthers. Maybe it's a bad matchup stylistically, but I don't know. It's, it just seems like they've phoned it in a little against this team.
0: It does feel that way, especially after what we saw tonight, maybe what they need is a max Domi Ekblad incident to kind of wake everything up again. Uh, I mean, Pezzetta tried to get something going there at the start. It seemed to wake them up a little bit because the Canadians had one of those rare starts to a game that started at the start of a game.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was kind of after that initial start that everything fell apart, right? And when uh, Suzuki took that penalty, it was kind of the turning point in the game in a lot of ways, but... They got it back on the power play, and then St. Louis got the, the nice coaching challenge there on the offside to keep it even, but, uh, you know, let's let's transition into the penalty kill, because I feel like there's stuff to talk about there. There's some nitty-gritty to chew on that also, tra- like, it's the same situation as getting those zone clearances and the way they play defensively at even strength, but before we get into it, i got to remind everyone who's here live, please like the stream, and hey, if you're watching on replay or listening on the podcast, same thing head over to YouTube, like the stream, subscribe to SDPN. If you're on one of our podcast uh, platforms, make sure you like us and rate us there as well. Share with your friends. Always helps to grow the show, and we really appreciate it. We appreciate our uh, our fan base and our, our viewers, our co-conspirators on this show as we try to take over the league and cover the Montreal Canadiens in a fun way and give people catharsis after games. So help us grow. All right, uh, the PK... I find outside of Jake Evans, the PK is just really passive, like extremely passive, especially at the blue line. They don't apply pressure. And I like, I get it to a certain extent for certain players like David Savard. I, I get being very passive because he's slow and he wants to stay near the net to block guys out and block shots. Yeah. Ironically, he was the one who was chasing on the the game-winning goal, right? Gave uh, Lustrin in like fifty feet of room. <laughs> I don't know how he managed that as David Savard, but for the most part, outside of that, outside of him, like they have enough speed that they can push a little bit harder. I don't know why they don't transition to a more aggressive PK.
0: Yeah, they, it seems they're playing instead of a boxer, they're they're playing diamond. Uh, they're trying to keep that cross ice seam pass from happening, and their focus is so much on that, that they're forgetting that there's, there's that whole U shape around the outside uh, where they're just, they're moving the puck at will. And if they can't leave, if they can't force them to leave the zone, eventually their dime is going to break down. Just like, yeah, like you mentioned, where uh, Savard let a guy uh, gave some guy so much space. He was an astronaut.
1: <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. And I, I think when you look at, How successful PKs run nowadays, whether it's a diamond or a box formation, whatever you want to call it, uh, fast forwards especially are very important. And on defense, you need speed and physicality, like a combo, right? But you look at this team and a guy like Mike Matheson, he has stretches where he's incredible on the PK and stretches where because he's Mike Matheson and he's always thinking offense, he overhandles the puck or tries to do something that he shouldn't in that situation. I, I feel like we've got to move away from playing Matheson like 30 minutes a night and let him yeah. settle a little bit and, and focus on what he's good at. And maybe it's time to remove David Savard as well. Cause he's a little bit too slow. He has great specific skills but I'm not sure they're great for a modern penalty kill, the way that power plays work. And, you know, you mentioned trying to cut off the cross seam pass. I don't remember who was on the ice for the goal that got called off, but before that goal, three straight slot line passes. Yeah. I don't know many PKs that give up three straight. Like, you got to block one of those passes.
0: Yeah. The fact that there was three kind of normally use, they score on the second one, but I guess they flubbed on that shot. So, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and I agree with the speed of the forwards, uh, the Canadians power a penalty kill when it was successful, it had someone like a Byron. And they're not they're not really using those assets as much. Yeah. Uh, like a Yelonen. Yelonen would be ideal at the top of the box.
1: Yeah, did you ne- notice at the end of the game there he did take a shift with uh instead of Armia on that line? Yep. It didn't result in much, but I would like to see him get more ice time. I'll say that. I think he's earned it. By now, you would think, right? Like it, it seems like I know. Last game, he had like an an absolutely incredible game on that uh, fourth line, and I think it's fair to say Ullinen is carrying that fourth line in terms of like driving play. Like Mitchell Stevens has, he, he makes some a few smart plays here and there. Michael Pozzetta can show some skill once in a while. He can one-time a puck, which is always a surprise from a a fist-punching guy, but overall, I I don't think either of those guys are carrying the mail. It it has been Ulanen, and if you're going to move Jake Evans back to center maybe at some point, then maybe it makes sense to bump Ulanen up because you've got somebody who can... who has a proven track record of running a fourth line, but at some point, they've got to make a call with Ulan in cuz he's been knocking at the door for too long now to to keep giving him 6 7 minutes a night.
0: And his points per 60 is fairly high. I don't think he's he's about middle of the pack for the team, but when you're playing 8 9 minutes a game with those two players, you're not going to be putting up a ton of points. Exactly. But he's still he's still creating. His forecheck is there. Uh the passings there, the shots there. He's still using his his speed. So he's showing all the assets that he needs to play up the lineup at least on a third line. Yeah, like give him some
1: opportunity with some skilled linemates, right? Like he we know he has a shot. Uh he hasn't had a lot of chances in the NHL to get into positions to shoot. Early in his first call up I found he wasn't working to get into those positions. Now I find he does get there, but no one's getting him the puck. <laughs> so like I, it just seems like a wasted opportunity for the kid.
0: Yeah. He's going through the motions. He's showing what he can do. And he's just hoping if he follows the process, it'll eventually happen for him. Yeah.
1: You know, and I guess it happens soon. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't complained. So I guess you also have to give that to him. Right. Cause that's a, yeah. that's a tough thing when you're you, I'm sure he feels like he deserves more because how could he not with the way that he's playing. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's some questionable decision making in terms of line combinations, but probably not something that matters super for this, like a lot for this game. <laughs> like, I don't think there was much roster rejigging that would suddenly make them win this one. I will thank the Montreal Canadiens for not letting this game go into overtime, because I swear if
0: I had to watch even more of it <laughs> and then go to bed even later, I'd be pissed. Did you imagine stealing a point after only getting 11 shots on net? That was That, that would be insane.
1: I mean, Alex Stolar's in net. There's a chance, right? Like, he's not a killer goalie. I think that's what was most frustrating about how tentative the Habs were to shoot, especially in the first period when they were getting opportunities. It's like, this is a goalie who doesn't play a lot. Like, throw the puck through him. You can get lucky bounces here and there. You can get him panicking and moving side to side. And it it seemed like they just weren't that interested in doing that. There There was a play, I think it was in the first period, where Suzuki... Got the puck in the middle of the slot, and then elected to pass away. Like he was unchecked in the middle; nobody in front yeah. of him. Passed to Matheson, and I was like, "Okay, fine." Now Matheson's going to shoot. He's in a pretty good position at the top of the slot as well. And he's like, "Now I'm going to pass to Caulfield on the goal line in the corner." And Caulfield's like, "What in my skates? I'm going to okay. I'll try to shoot it." And it's like, "This is the stuff that drives people nuts, right?" And you have people yelling yeah. "shoot" in the crowd, and I know players hate that because. Obviously, we don't see what they see, but I'm pretty sure both Suzuki and Matheson could have shot there.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think Caulfield believes the same thing because the surprised look on his face that he had when the puck showed up, he was there for a rebound. He wasn't yeah. there to take a pass for a quick shot. And you're right. Yeah, they sh- they absolutely could have shot there. And I mean, my son was yelling, shoot. <laughs> I don't know how they didn't hear him.
1: Oh man, yeah. I don't know if you saw it. my my youngest came down to watch a little bit in the first period, and he, he told uh, he told me that he when he plays hockey he wants to be the herder. And I was like, What's the herder? He's like, I'm good at hurting when I get on the ice. He thinks that there's like I hurt, I hurt too. <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm, I'm great at being hurt that i'll, I'll yeah. say that but uh yeah i guess he thinks that some people are allowed to just go around and like hit everyone all over the ice and not play the rest of the
0: game i mean i guess a some people approach are. the ryan reeves approach, approach. oh yeah yeah i can sit on a bench too <laughs> yeah exactly
1: i can just yell about how tough i am and flex at the crowd and not actually do anything
0: well that's tregg
1: yeah, yeah. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> Got <Gotcha>, you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Too
1: good. All right, let's let's keep moving on because this game is uh, just not the best material <laughs> to talk about. But I I think there is something that we can bring up that I I think is topical for the last few games, and I just seeing the conversation on Habs Twitter and stuff. Is it time to bring back Arbor Jackey from the American Hockey League? You know, we, we've talked for weeks now about how much Justin Barron is struggling, and I didn't think just, it was like a, a game to highlight Barron in particular for struggling. I thought he had some good moments and some bad moments. His biggest thing to me is when his back is to the play in the defensive zone, he just assumes that he has time and he doesn't look over his shoulder. Just start looking, Justin, and you'll be okay. Because when he's under pressure and he knows he's under pressure, he's not so bad, but when he... Thinks he has time. Man, it, it's brutal out there. But I think you look at... I know there was a lot of people talking about in the last game against Carolina, nobody like stood up for Slavkovsky, but I think the Canadians were pretty physical that whole game. I, I don't know if it's necessarily for the fighting that I would want to bring up Arborzakai, but I do think his physicality adds a dimension on defense that the Canadians are lacking a little bit. And it also brings that out of Gouli a bit more. So I'd like I think I'd like to see it in short order.
0: Yeah, I I agree I would like to see more from Guly on that side as well, but with the way Struble's been playing, Harris is back now. Yep. Uh there's not a really a spot there unless they decide to move Struble back down. And I don't see them wanting to do that. On the other hand, I do expect Eye to be on the line in that lineup by the time the All-Star break comes around.
1: Yeah, you, you got to think, at some point this season, there's a decent chance that Savard gets traded, for one. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's the Montreal Canadiens, so there's probably going to be injuries. Uh. I I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to sending Barron down to the American Hockey League again, just to let him get his confidence back. I mean, every time he goes down there, when he comes back up, he's a better player, right? So I- as long as he's not waiver-eligible... Taking advantage of that doesn't seem like a bad thing, and he doesn't seem to sulk when he's down there either, which I think is a good, a really, really good sign for a young player. And not that eye is either; he's actually playing really well down in Laval and putting up crazy points. Scored tonight in uh, Laval's win there, or I guess not tonight. Today it was an early game, but I-, I would like to see him again in the NHL because I'm a little surprised by how much, like how many people think he was playing poorly this year because like his underlying numbers were really stellar uh, offensively and defensively. So I don't know. I think there's more to him than what I thought he was initially, what a lot of people thought he was initially. I, I see a guy who has the potential to be like a number four, or number five defenseman. And that physicality makes him so much more effective than the average four or five defenseman. Cause he can shoot the puck through the net. Or he can just kill you.
0: It's also that intimidation factor that he brings. Mm -hmm. Teams are legitimately game planning when he's on the ice. And that changes things. People have a second guess. Oh, like Nosen with that hit on uh, Slavkovsky. Had Jack Eye been on the ice at that time, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Well, it probably would have, but he would have second guessed it at the very least. Might
1: have had a thought about uh, it, right?
0: Might might have not hit as hard, right?
1: And I think that there's... That narrative about, like, fighters doesn't hold up, but I think when you're talking about a guy who plays a regular shift, it's a different story, right? It's not just a Ryan Reeves out there. And also, I think you're talking about changing the game plan, what Jakai brings, is sometimes you are getting teams that blink a little bit or flinch a little bit and they will play a Ryan Reeves instead of a better player because Arbor Jack is in the lineup. And now you have an advantage because Jack is not going to play five minutes. He's going to play 17.
0: Exactly. And that fourth line on the other team is going to suffer from that. And then your fourth line could take advantage. So guys like Yolonen being on a fourth line at that point, it's not a big deal. It's actually a good idea. If that were to happen. Yeah. So with Jack coming up, I do, I do think that he deserves the call up, but at the same time uh, the only player, like you mentioned that I could see going down is Baron. And I agree. He needs, he needs at least a a game where he's in the, uh, the press box where he can refocus. Yeah. And that's been his, that's been his thing since he was 12. He, (laughs) he needs to, he needs to do a little bit of refocusing every now and then through the season and being, you know, in the area that he grew up in, everybody here kind of, we, we know him well.
1: Yeah. And and that's been like a consistent thing for him. Sometimes he needs to like recalibrate a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, some players are just like that. Right. And maybe he'll grow out of it as he matures in, into like, I know he's 22 now, but I mean, as you get older, I think, you know, when I was 22, I was like, yeah, I'm an adult. And now, in my late 30s, I'm like, mm, 22 is kind of a kid, you know. I, I wouldn't dis- disregard anything a 22-year-old said as like, oh, you're too young for that. But it's like, you're still not fully formed, right? You're not your yourself yet. And, and I think that's that's true of NHL players, uh, most of them anyway. You know, you're not going to send down a Connor Bedard or something. But th- there's more to be added to Justin Barron's game and, and Justin Barron the person than what we see right now. But uh, if he if he always ends up being the guy who needs to recalibrate once in a while, but when he's recalibrated, he's a good player. That's still a good player. Sometimes guys need smacks.
0: Now one game off here and there. I mean, yeah. at the very least, it gives him a little rest and it kind of negates that whole uh, in the injury routine. It comes from fatigue for the most part with the Canadians. Yes. So at least that would be off the pl- off the plate for him. We hope. Yeah,
1: and hey, with load management being a thing in other sports these days, like it's just another way to do that, right? Where he's getting mental time off and physical time off it it could be a good thing. I, I I like that idea. We had a good question here. We can transition into the questions as well. Uh, but before I do, make sure everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, have some fun here, and yeah, throw your questions in the chat. There's a good one from Trizak says uh, Andrew thoughts on Elliot Freeman saying tonight that he believes Kent Hughes has a price for his goalies in mind and isn't budging. Uh, <clears throat> from what I heard, cause I don't pay total attention during the intermissions cause I really can't handle how bad they are. Uh, no offense, former employer of sports net, but uh, <clears throat> I think he said that uh, Hughes would be willing to go down a little, but not much. And that's kind of been the modus operandi for Kent Hughes with all of his trades. So I respect it. And there's so many teams struggling with goaltending right now that I get it. But at the same time, the longer you wait, sometimes those issues resolve themselves. So I think in the new year here, like if it's not done by January, end of January, let's just get it done.
0: Yeah, I think he has a drop dead of value that he has on players. And right now, probably the the value that's being offered is well below that because yeah. that's always the way it is with goaltenders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that That's the thing. Like goalies just don't have the trade value that forwards or defensemen do. And even if with desperate teams, right? Like they, they're usually willing to attempt to rehabilitate the guy that's there more than you would with like a defenseman who's giving away the puck like 20 times a night, right? Like that guy's just getting sent. He's getting sent somewhere to Siberia, you know, like they never want to see him again. But then you have uh, Stu Skinner being given chance after chance in Edmonton, blowing winnable games for a team that should be a Stanley Cup contender. And I I think Stu Skinner is going to be a decent goaltender eventually. But eh, last year in the playoffs, things went totally off the rails, and he hasn't fully gotten back to what he was before.
0: Yeah, he he's someone that would benefit from uh, Jake Allen, for instance, hundred percent presence. You know, as someone who can take some of that like load management again, take some of those games off and, and show the young guy how it's supposed to be done, how to prepare, how to set up, how to study these players. Um, I, I know the Leafs would love to have a goalie with the save percentage above 890. Oh, God. It's a low bar, isn't it? Eh? Well, it's Toronto.
1: Yeah. Would you trade a goalie to Toronto, though? Would you, Would you help Not them save that sinking ship? Yeah, I wouldn't either. I I would trade some certain players to Toronto. Specifically, because I know that he wanted him big time in Calgary, I would trade Josh Anderson to Toronto. I think he would actually fit in pretty decently there. And I wouldn't worry about it like hurting the Canadians long term. And I think Trilliving would overpay. That's the big thing. Because the big trade that was rumored around the draft when Slavkovsky was drafted that there was like first round picks being tossed around for Josh Anderson. I'm pretty sure, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure just from talking to different people that one of the offers on the table is from Calgary.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than
1: ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, and it would also have like a, a Sam Pollock feel where he's giving Anderson to Toronto that eats up so much cap space. They can't sign Nealander, and suddenly he ends up in Montreal.
1: Oh God, that would be so funny! Imagine if they think Anderson's the Nealander replacement, so that they let him go. Oh, they John Smart says all Adam Wild would lose his mind. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. If, like, would you trade Jake Allen to Toronto? I don't know if I uh, would. It,
0: honestly, if they're willing to provide a little bit above my my value, sure.
1: Yeah. I just don't want Jake Allen to win a Stanley Cup with Toronto. You know, that would not sit well.
0: well. I don't see them winning a third round. I mean, statistics. They've never speaking, done it. They've... exactly.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's bad game night. So we're dunking on Toronto. Now. <laughs> we need see. something. Yeah, we got to have something in our lives that's funny. That's fun here. Uh, let's see if there's any other questions here. Uh, a lot of teams getting tougher this year, says Trinka. Jack coming to the Habs last year changed the picture of the Atlantic. That is true. Like, the Atlantic did load up. I don't know if it was all because of Jack but it, it seemed to be very coincidental timing.
0: Yeah, it was like right after he showed up.
1: Yeah. And Trinka also says, imagine if you did send Connor Bedard down to the American Hockey League. Yeah, I don't think that would be able to happen. I think his agent would be up in ears quite quickly.
0: I think uh, the fans on Madison would lose their minds.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Can you imagine what that team would be this year without him? Well, they might be worse than last year.
0: It'd be worse than an AHL team.
1: Yeah, there might be AHL teams that would beat them. I mean, geez, 11 wins with Connor Bedard, and he's playing so damn well without much help. It's pretty crazy.
0: They end up with see- Celebrini. Oh, Celebr- oh my God. I'd be so, mad.
1: so uh, mad. They can't win another one. They might still, you know, but, which yeah. is insane. I did see there was uh, there was a moment in the game that I did appreciate with uh, Brennan Gallagher, where he was kind of at close to the end of a shift, but you could tell he had some gas left, and there was that puck clearance. And then he, you knew he wasn't going to get it, but he just like turned on the Jets and and pressured both uh, Florida defensemen to push back hard and kind of tired them out. And before he went back and ended his shift. And I, I said that he was allergic to ending a shift with air in his lungs. Like he's just such a competitor. And I saw somebody, somebody replied to it and said that his shifts are too long, always out there too long. So I went and checked it. His average shift this year is 48 seconds. It's one of the lowest on the team. So Gallagher haters, come on,
0: be rational. I mean, if he could go a a full minute, minute and a half, I would take it because that's, (laughs) he's that one guy that, you know, no matter how he's feeling, he's going to give you everything he has may not be enough, but it's everything.
1: This is true. Oh, Trizek asks if I had any further thoughts about my proposed Anderson for Huber, Huberto trade idea. I just threw that out for fun. I don't actually think it would be a good idea. The Huberto contract is insane, and even for 2 million retained, which is what I like, the scenario that I proposed, like 8.5 is a lot for Jonathan Huberto right now. But I, I do think there's a tendency among Habs fans to just lump all Francophone players together. And I saw a lot of people reply, like, oh, it just be Drew in 2.0. And they're different people, guys. Like, they, they have French names, sure. But. They're not the same guy. It doesn't necessarily mean the same fate. And I know that there's a lot of uh, Quebec players who come to Montreal at the end of their career and it doesn't pan out. But I do think... I wouldn't do it because the contract is terrible. But I do think Huberto, when he's put in a good situation, creates a heck of a lot of offense. And Calgary is like the antithesis to a good situation for him. Just the way that they play as a team doesn't fit in at all. I do think the Canadians would win that trade on talent, but the cap hit situation is just brutal. Like, could you imagine having to try to deal with that Huberto contract while you're trying to re-sign like, you know, Lane Hudson and David Reinbacher and Uri Slavkovsky, like it would just be a nightmare, a logistical
0: nightmare. His decline is going to be at the time you need these guys and mm-hmm. they won't be able to trade him off at that point. And you're just eating up what about 8% of your cap, probably six percent at that point but that's still a lot
1: yeah yeah and, and k is in the chat defending jonathan Druen. and i'm not trying to hold Druen up as like a colossal failure or anything i still think that juran was like his whole situation was destroyed by bergevin's regime where he came in he should have been seen as a middle six winger with a lot of talent that could become better than that and they were like no first line center He just got like absolutely destroyed at center. He is not capable of playing center defensively. And you know what? The guy still puts up points. He went through a crazy goal drought. Uh, I know a lot of people criticize his effort. I never saw a lack of effort from Jonathan Drouin. I saw a guy who just does not have defensive instincts and he tries really hard, but it doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, We saw that here in Halifax as well. He was just, he never had to work on defense because he always had the puck on the offensive side. So uh, it wasn't a surprise to see that lack of defensive awareness. And I agree. Like he, he did do everything he could, but he just, he wasn't set up to succeed.
1: No. Yeah, it it wasn't a system that was tailored to his uh his strengths. It it wasn't a position. It, he didn't have line mates that were tailored to his strengths either. Like, you know, it, it's kind of like Gallagher now, right? Like we know Gallagher is playing good hockey this year, and you see a lot of people are like, "Well, he's not scoring. He's not putting up points." How many points do we realistic realistically expect from Brendan Gallagher on this specific team that doesn't put up a lot of points in the first place and playing with uh like? Christian Dvorak and UL Armia like that's not a line that creates a lot of offense right Gallagher needs players who can make plays and he can finish them right and he does a lot of little stuff all around the ice but at the end of the day he's a more of a net front guy offensively than anything and that doesn't necessarily mean scoring he can distribute from the net front too and create chaos those guys aren't pushing the play offensively
0: no, he's a buzz saw, and with most buzz saws, you need you need a, a craftsman to push that buzz saw forward. Yes, and that that's what he needs. That's what he needs, and I agree. Uh, he is not quite getting that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; I like Dvorak. I like his defensive awareness, but offensively, he's just not there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Dvorak's significantly better in his all around game this year compared to last year, mm-hmm. but. The scoring just hasn't come uh, outside of that stretch when St. Louis first took over and he, sco- he scored like 10 goals in 20 games or something like that. He just hasn't been able to find that touch in Montreal. And I don't know if that's a systems issue or if he's just not as good as they thought he was offensively. I know he wasn't a huge scorer in Arizona, but he had like a couple decent seasons there. It it just hasn't worked. And what I'm seeing with that line is they get possessions they can forecheck really well, but with Gallagher specifically, because he, it's kind of his responsibility to do everything, he's yeah. the one carrying the puck in, into the offensive zone. So he's not able to be the one who's driving the net, and that kills his offense. So a lot of times it's Gallagher gains the zone. Armia and Dvorak aren't there yet. They're, you know, being responsible defensively, sure but they're not necessarily contributing to the rush. So Gallagher takes a shot from 35, 40 feet out, and then it's a one and done. Maybe Gallagher will cause a turnover in the corner or Armia will, cause he's a pretty decent four checker as well, but it's just like three cogs that fit well in certain areas of the game, but not for scoring.
0: That'd be a really good playoff fourth line. Yes. They can grind it out, eat up a ton of time, not give up anything. But if you're looking to them to create offense in a top nine role, it's not there.
1: No, no. And I mean, Gallagher's had his hand exploded twice, you know, so his shot is not what it used to be either. He needs, uh, like, in an ideal world, I feel like Armia is a 10 to 12 goal a season guy, Dvorak's like a 15 to 17, and Gallagher at this stage is probably also a 15 to 17. And when you put all that together, it's not a lot of goals for that line. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Unless the defensemen are like Eric Carlson and prime Ray Bork, you're not getting a lot of goals.
0: And none of them are really playmakers. Mm-hmm. So he's he got three guys who are good at puck retrieval, but not creating. So yeah, it kind of eats up time, but doesn't give you much.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jean Simard asks, uh, he says, Anton Lundell has fallen out of favor in Florida. Could he be a reclamation project for Hughes? I don't know a ton about Lundell. I thought he had a good game tonight on the fourth line for uh, the Panthers. How old is Lundell? Does anybody know?
0: Uh, I think he's 23.
1: Was he a... I mean, that's pretty young. for a rec- 21 22. 22 from up, yeah. Finland. I'd have to take a look at his, his numbers and everything, but 22-year-old... Finnish player that's usually a, a decent sign he's been in the nhl for a couple of years already maybe I'd, I'd be open to exploring it
0: he, he when he was drafted there was a lot of offensive upside to him that they were looking for it and he he hasn't really pulled it off in florida and yeah. hughes loves reclamation projects so i don't see why not
1: yeah there you go so we get a, a two thumbs up from that one. Uh, Chris Hansen says, those three aren't getting 20 goals total. You're you're probably right uh, between the gallagher dvorak Army line. Like, what we we're saying is, in an ideal world for each player, that's probably what you can expect to score in a full season, right? So I'm not saying that line is going to score, you know, like 50-something goals this year. That's not going to happen. Uh, they don't fit each other in a way to make, to, like, top each other out, Right. Top each other. I'm throwing terrible things out there right now. Uh, Mitch Goff is he going to come back to bite us asks Patrick Spino. Probably. No, no, he's not tall enough. <laughs> he could bite Cole, Cole Caulfield. Yeah, there you go. Probably right in the top yeah. of the head. Yeah, I, I think uh, that one's going to be a tough one. I will say, like, as bad as the reaction has been for a year and a half after the Slavkovsky draft. Right now, that draft is looking pretty darn good, so maybe the same thing happens with Reinbacher. Maybe the Canadian scouting staff is a lot smarter than we give them credit for. I don't want to give them that win right now, because Michkov is absolutely lighting up the KHL, and Reinbacher has struggled this season after an injury, but it probably Michkov will bite them.
0: Yeah, I do think that's, uh he's going to come in. He's probably going to have a couple of good seasons, and ABS Twitter is going to lose their minds. But Reinbacher is going to be someone that they're going to really, really adore. When he was here for the World Juniors, he played the whole tournament without eating solid food. He was so sick, he couldn't do practice. He he They helped him out of bed and took him to the rink, and he still performed well. So that's the kind of guy you're going to get. And he does have offensive upside. He's solid defensively. He's a big guy. And he fits with Lane Hudson so well, skill-wise, that I think the fans are really going to like him. And I do think, it. I don't know if it's necessarily
1: the best draft strategy, but I look at those two picks, and at the top of the draft, I think it's, it's really dangerous to operate this way. But I do think they saw Slavkovsky, and they looked at, caulfield and suzuki and thought perfect that's the perfect fit and they looked at david reinbacher and they looked at lane hudson and they thought perfect so they're they're planning out how the team is going to look three four five years from now instead of taking necessarily the top end talent in terms of just like scoring ability which would would have been logan cooley uh, or maybe Shane Wright, I don't, probably not Shane Wright, in uh, the Slavkovsky draft, and it definitely would have been Mitch Goff or Zach Benson in the Reinbacher draft. If it all works out, I will hand it to them on a silver platter. I think it's a very risky way to go about things, to draft, not just for, for team need or, like, roster construction need, but, like, specific... I'm gonna bet on Lane Hudson making it, and therefore this guy will be the perfect partner. I think Lane Hudson is gonna make it, but it is a very risky way to go about things.
0: It's kind of a NFL style planning, where they yeah. pick guys to fit certain roles. And had Reinbacher been a left-handed player, there's no way in heck they would have picked him. That's true. They probably would have went with Leonard at that point, which honestly would have been who I wanted. Yeah, I was uh, I was, fine with I was all in on him. So yeah, it's a, uh, they have a plan They're They're sticking to their plan and I hope to God their plan works out, but uh, there's some things in there that I, you don't see a lot of from NHL GMs like that NFL style. Look at it.
1: Yeah. I, I do like that unique approach to it. Right. And I think we can see that not just in drafting <clears throat> the way that he was, trades, right. He holds <laughs> everything. He will not budge. On a lot of these moves, and sometimes it takes forever and it's frustrating. But on all of his trades, he's made good value back, right? So mm-hmm. it, it it's interesting to see somebody who has a very cerebral approach after the scatter shot of uh, bergevin for a decade. So that I like, but we'll we'll see how the drafting turns out. Uh Roland Briere asks, Would you agree that the big issue is the forward group as a whole? I mean, in terms of building the team towards competitiveness. Definitely. <laughs> they need star talent up front. Uh, I think if this Suzuki, Caulfield, Slavkovsky line sticks together and plays as well as they have been, that's a line in your top six that's nailed down, but you need another line. That's probably as good as that or better to be a yeah, Stanley definitely. Cup contender.
0: I mean, they've got a coming up. They've got uh, feral Farrell, who should be coming up soon? They've got some good young players who can fill that middle nine role, mm-hmm. but there's still no star power. That's where that Mitchkov pick is going to hurt for a little while. Yeah, and and like you know, if they get as lucky
1: as you can possibly get this year, and they get Macklin Celebrini, well, guess what? Fill in those other two spots on the top line becomes a lot easier because when you have a a fully elite like franchise level center then you can put a guy like Joshua Wah on on the top line and his job is just easier, right? You're a complimentary player now. You don't have to carry a line. You've got to facilitate this superstar and he's going to do a lot of the tough things for you. He's going to get you the puck in situations you never imagined the puck was going to get to you, right? So finding that star makes the other dominoes fall a little bit easier. And the Canadians do have good forward prospects in the system they're just further away than the defense, right? We're seeing on defense right now, it's like a, a cluster of so many NHL-ready defensemen and then more coming up right behind them with Hudson and Reinbacher and you could argue Mayu and even William Trudeau could be an NHL-ready defenseman in the next year or two. They need to have that same level of depth at forward and a superstar. It's a lot.
0: Yeah, and- with with the number of players they have that are coming up, those NHL ready defensemen, they're not all going to make the team, so they're going to have yeah. to package some of those up, and maybe that helps them get to what they need.
1: Yeah. Like, I, like I would, already I like they have beat them. the odds with defensive prospects. Like what's oh, ready like right it. now?
0: Way, um, way sooner, and and if they can get a Cole Eiserman slide down to their slot, even better.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen uh, I've seen some people very skeptical of Iserman because of the way he plays, but. Hey, if they can if they finish higher than we think and he slides down, that's all right too. Uh Bernard Arsene reminds us that Doc is also there. Yes, Doc. Losing Doc is really the story of the season in a lot of ways. I I feel like if they did have him from the start of the season onward, we'd be tearing our hair out. No, I mean I wouldn't be able to. I could tear my beard hair out. Uh about this Proposed top uh, pick this year because there'd be no chance this team's in lottery position with Doc in the lineup.
0: Well, right now, they were before the game started tonight, they were five points out of a playoff spot, which, I'm going to be honest, was a lot closer than I expected them to be at this point of the year. Same. But losing this game is going to push them back, especially with all those teams between them and that playoffs.
1: Yeah, and they'll likely lose tomorrow as well. I mean, they might not, but... Tampa Bay is turning it on. Vasilevsky's back. That's a, that's a tough one for them on Tampa home ice. Um, Kay says she thinks that Hughes is planning to trade for that offensive star. I think that's one thing that can't be overlooked. Right? Is as much as you want the draft to be the the venue because it's usually cheaper. You have more loyalty from the player. You have them for a longer amount of time. If the Canadians can't get into the top of that draft and, and draft a superstar, I see two avenues that are open for them in the next couple of years to land a superstar. One is this summer, if Vancouver falls apart down the stretch, which is highly likely considering the way that they play and how lucky they've been from a shooting percentage standpoint. I saw the other day, the last uh, like 12 to 15 games, their shooting percentage at even strength is 16%. The league average is like nine. (laughs) They're just, they're five percentage points ahead of anyone else in the league. They're just lighting up everyone. And like Thatcher Demko is great. I don't know if he's this great. So I I expect them to fall off. Maybe not in time to miss the playoffs, but if Elias Pedersen at the end of the year is not happy, I would look at that as a possible trade. The Canadians have a ton of assets that could be sent back the other way that are NHL ready or close to it for Vancouver, probably more than most teams. And the other one is if Edmonton keeps crap in the bed, Leon Dreisaitl is an unrestricted free agent in two years. Just
0: saying. We already know he doesn't mind yeah. playing in Canada. I can see I can see that that would be an amazing one. Right? Wouldn't that be a perfect fit? He's got a cottage in Sudbury. So And I would drop League Max it on him. Be. It would with be I, I like the no hesitation. Oh yeah.
1: Send Cole Caulfield to his house. Can knock Did on the door remember? and go in the doggy yeah. door. Yeah, with I, a bag I think of money. With a bag of money, yeah. Just carrying it. It's as big as he is. But uh, I, I think those are things that we have to look at and that Kent Hughes has to look at if the draft doesn't work out, right? Is Is you look at what teams are vulnerable to losing their elite players. And those players rarely, rarely change teams but if you can dump a league max contract on a guy like Edmonton won't be able to afford to do that.
0: No, no, not with, not if they're planning on keeping McDavid. So no. yeah, that they have to overpay. If they're yep. not doing it through the draft, they're going to have to overpay in some way, be it in assets or in money.
1: And for those kinds of players, you overpaying is okay. You know, it, it's, you get, if you're getting a premium asset, then you pay premium prices. Uh, Trinka says, do you think Hughes has enough pull to bring people to Montreal? Uh, he says, I guess Hughes and the coach. Does he have ins with former clients? I think if you listen to what people are talking about around the league, first of all, there's a lot of players who are interested in playing for Marty St. Louis. And the culture that the Canadians are building here is known, right? You, you see this team that really shouldn't be in most games, and they play hard, almost every single night, you know, 90% of tonight, not included. Uh, Hughes has a good reputation as a player agent, uh, as a GM, you look at the players who he's traded away and the way they speak about the organization. It's really night and day different from the last regime. And I know that people are concerned about like taxes and all that, but first of all, NHL players don't pay taxes the way that we do. (laughs) They have accountants to help them, get out of that. And also players from other countries pay a flat tax in Canada. I believe it's like 20%. Uh, Alan Walsh, who's part of the network here has explained it before that they, they don't pay full income taxes. They should, but they don't. So I, I wouldn't worry about that. I do think Montreal will become an interesting destination for a lot of unrestricted free agents very shortly.
0: Well, yeah, with them coming up, like you mentioned with St. Louis, uh, the fact that the team is improving and it's the market that it is there's going to be players that want to go into a market like that to experience winning because they saw what happened during that playoff run when every the city just lit right up and the players love that so they talk they, they all talk to each other i would not be surprised to see if i would not be surprised to see a few of them show up
1: yeah and you know what that moment when Anderson got the first star at the bell center and the crowd just went yeah. absolutely nuts for him breaking that goose egg and finally feeling like himself, I would wager at least half the NHL has seen that video. You know, those things... it's a
0: player who like in another city, they would have probably been booed off the ice at some point prior to that. But in Montreal, they recognize and they appreciate the effort that he was putting in, and they they truly wanted him to know how they felt that he finally got that monkey off his back. Hundred percent,
1: hundred percent, and I I do think Montreal a few years ago probably would have booed him, right? But I think the fan culture has changed. I don't know if it's if it's COVID or if it's you know going through a rebuild and realizing that it's a different scenario. But the fans at the Bell Center are not nearly as negative as they used to be. And I think that that is also something that helps the team, both on the ice and off of it.
0: Well, I think the fan base, one, is getting a little younger. Yep. And two, the rebuild has kind of humbled the fan base as a whole. It's not this whole 24 Stanley Cup thing anymore for a lot of them. It's, yes. oh man, we, we're we rebuilding it's the first time it's been done in the city so that might be playing into it a little bit
1: yeah i mean most of the fan base has probably seen one or two cups their whole lives right or zero yeah. or seven or so- <laughs> some of us who are lucky have seen more <laughs> but uh, a, a lot of the fan base that are at these games now who are buying season tickets who are like young professionals or or in approaching middle age uh haven't seen a lot of success for this team. So committing to building future success instead of constantly doing band aid solutions. I think it does, it sells
0: well in the current market. Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're they're marketing the team properly in the rebuild. They're, they're managing expectations and they're giving the fans that little carrot, the hope. And they're, they're putting the young guys out there to kind of, Push that, so it that seems to be working. The marketing side, Chantad Bekabi and all uh, what she's been doing, it seems to be working really, really well with this fan base.
1: Yeah. Oh, and Chenandler Bong seventy six says, uh, "Do you think Crosby comes to Montreal at the end of the end of his career?" I have heard from a shocking amount of people that it's a a high chance, a high probability. That Crosby, when he's an uh, unrestricted free agent, signs like a sweetheart deal to finish it here.
0: Yeah, don't if, bank uh, on it. Pittsburgh but... doesn't. No, if Pittsburgh doesn't want him to stay, then he'll go to Montreal. But if Pittsburgh offers him a dollar to stay, he'll stay <laughs> in Pittsburgh.
1: I'm sure they'll offer him a dollar. I guess it depends on like, can Pittsburgh get to the playoffs? Right. And I, I don't know if Pittsburgh is going to make the playoffs before Montreal does. Like.
0: It's thin yeah. there. It's a fifty-fifty shot right now for them. They're they're yeah. kind of just outside of it.
1: Yeah, Kay says he's going to Colorado. That's also a possibility. Playing with Nate McKinnon would be something that he would want to do as well.
0: Well, he's also friends with Brad Mc- uh, with uh, with uh, Mershon. So uh, don't go to Boston. Uh...
1: <laughs> he can't do that again. Law already did that and ruined my view of him.
0: Yeah that would suck a lot, especially living where I live with all the Bruins fans that are around. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh dear God. There's a, there's a surprising amount of them in Montreal too. Unfortunately.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah.
1: But all right, we'll end it there. We managed to find some level of entertainment out of a horrible game of hockey (laughs) from your Montreal Canadians. Uh, Thanks Blaine for joining me before we close things out. uh, Tell everybody where they can find you.
0: Well, uh, right for the hockey writers, I provide uh, some hockey uh, write-ups for Cryer Media as well. Uh, and you can find me on the Habs Unfiltered podcast.
1: There you go. Check those out, everyone. And uh, everyone who's watching, thank you so much for watching. This is my last one of 2023. I've done a lot of them. I will be here for a few more years at least to do more before, I don't know, who knows what we'll do. This, this is a long, a long train of thoughts here that i'm getting myself into i don't need to do that all right uh, we'll see you in the new year mark's going to be on for the next few games and uh, against tampa tomorrow we'll see you then